0: This episode of TechPod is brought to you by THWACK.com, the SolarWinds community for IT pros. That's where you'll find the Monitoring for Managers forum, where we look at monitoring from a manager's point of view. Join the conversation at THWACK.com M4M.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of SolarWinds TechPod. I'm your host, Huggy Crystal Taylor. It's important to us to share our learnings with the world where we can, so we can all benefit. Today, we're excited to bring in some internal guests for a special chat about the internal workings of our own IT. Senior Directors of IT here at SolarWinds, Brad Klein and Dr. Umberto Amador. Welcome to TechPod. Before we kick things off, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your careers.
0: Brad Klein, I'm the Senior Director of IT here at SolarWinds. Um, I've been with the company for a little over a year now um, in the role of the IT Operations uh, Director position. Uh, My history, I've been in IT overall about 25 years, working in a lot of different um, positions and for a lot of different um, industries and companies um, that have given me a nice uh, general round knowledge of the different industries and how IT can play a role.
2: And I'm Dr. Amador. I've uh, worked in IT for about 15, 16 years at this point, and I've had the opportunity to really see IT from a bunch of different lenses, not just from a, a technical perspective, but also from a business perspective. Uh, at at Solowinds, I spend most of my days here running technical program management and uh, focusing in on our bigger, more uh, complex uh, global programs.
1: Excellent. And uh, for those new to TechPod, I have been in IT for a little over 10 years now. I'm previously uh, to being a head geek here, which I do a lot of um, content creation and that kind of stuff, hosting this podcast sometimes, um, whatever it's called upon, really. And then uh, previously to that, I worked as a contractor um, with a bunch of different companies of different sizes and different industries to set up their monitoring. So I'm very passionate about that. Um, So this is neither of your first visit to TechPod, but um, our conversation today is kind of going to be following up on a conversation that Umberto had with Liz Beavers previously. So I want to continue that conversation around IT better aligning with the business and building the bridge between IT pros and management. We're going to dive deeper into the importance of communication and share some internal experience. Um, So I know this is a passion for you, Umberto, based off of your previous visit to TechPod. And uh, I'm happy to uh, continue carrying that torch. Um, Anyone who has experienced me talking about anything will know that I am also very passionate about the importance of interpersonal skills or uh, soft skills or non-technical skills or whatever I'm calling them that day of the week. Um, But I think that they're really important to Improving ourselves and improving the relationship that we in IT have with the rest of the business. Um, So something you said in the previous episode, um, I think will carry us forward into the discussion we want to have today, is that we need to think of technology in not just technical terms, as in what we are doing, but we need to think about why we are doing it. Um, So this is kind of a place where we get to align business and the technology goals. Um, You want to uh, talk a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. So... Technology itself can be very complicated, and depending on which lens you're looking at technology from—either a data lens, an infrastructure lens, a, a business applications lens—it comes with its challenges. Um, so, as as people, as technicians, as as engineers, you know, we definitely spend a lot of time within the environments, and we start speaking and communicating to one another. Uh, in ways, many people would find it foreign. They'd find it uh, technical. They find it jargon. They really don't understand uh, some of the context that's being driven in those types of conversations. So this is where uh, we lose the opportunity to align if we don't treat it uh, cautionously. And what I mean by that is uh, when we look at alignment from a business perspective, uh, most people think from kind of the top-down type of approach Meaning the business requirements are coming from the top and the technical team is trying to facilitate those requirements and translate them into actual work that they're completing. But in many situations, uh, th- that's not where the conversation ends. We-, we need to kind of turn that back around and uh, kind of align, not just from the top down, from the but also from the bottom up and make sure that we understand when we say we're taking these business requirements and breaking them down into incremental value streams that we can deliver from a technical perspective. What does that mean to you from a timeline perspective? What does that mean to you from an objective perspective? Are you going to get what you want in the end of this? How long is it going to take you to get that, that deliverable uh, within that scheduled time frame? And that's really, those are the questions that come into play uh, when we start translating the two. And so this is why I've spent a lot of years focusing really on how do you bridge the gap between business and technology in order to create that true level of alignment and visibility that not only helps us accomplish our desires, but also helps us communicate along the way and holds us accountable to our actions, not only just to ourselves, but also to the team itself.
1: That's excellent. You know, you hit on something there with, um, with the jargon, right? I think that uh, we as IT professionals live in our world all the time. So the jargon becomes the norm for us, even in normal everyday conversation. So, you know, I, whether I'm talking to my mom or someone else in IT, I will automatically assume that they know what I'm talking about because normally the person I'm talking to does know what I'm talking about. But when you talk to someone who's outside of IT, those um, technical terms and the jargon, they don't, They don't mean anything to anyone not in IT, especially if you're using. I mean, think about um, like military personnel, right? How many acronyms do they have, and it doesn't mean anything to anyone outside of that of the military, right? Like, I don't know what that means unless I have previously learned it for some reason. And I think that that um, that focus on on learning how to communicate without just using technical jargon. I think the technical jargon is important, but learning where to use it and how to uh, you know, say what you need to say and explain what you need to explain without using just technical jargon will really help you on your way to improving your communication. And uh, it's communication, I think, is key. I think that's the, the the big thing, right? Communication is key, not only between business leaders and your like IT managers, but vice versa, right? You need to be able to communicate those things. They don't understand the importance of Your network. They, I mean, they understand it on like a vague level. Like we need this to function, but they don't understand the importance of the day-to-day operations that that you're doing. They don't understand why you do certain things at certain times, or why they take certain amount of time, or why you do like they don't. They don't need to know any of that either. So learning how to communicate, I think, is um, really important. So you know, when you're talking about it, I mean, oftentimes. Leaders think of IT as a cost center, right? Like that's that's the history. IT is considered a cost center. I don't necessarily think that it should be considered just a cost center. There are ways that you can save money by doing things correctly in IT in the rest of the business. And I think that um, having that communication back with them in a way that makes sense to them, right? We need to translate to dollars and cents. How is this going to save money for them? That's one way of communicating with them in a way that they understand, right? They understand money. They don't necessarily understand why you're going with this specific technology that you're using, right? Like it may not make sense to them. So how, how do we communicate up? How do we communicate the other way, right? They're very good at communicating down. They don't use the technical jargon. They just assume you're going to understand. Same what we do, but we can't control what they're going to do. What we can do is control what we're going to do. So how do we communicate up to get buy-in on what is considered a cost center.
2: So kind of following that term that you you used earlier with regards to correctiveness, I think that's actually a term that I'd I'd challenge in an IT environment, mostly from the aspect of correctiveness is really kind of cultural, right? It's really built by the team that's come together Decided the processes that they're going to follow and then ran through those processes as a team to see what the output was on the other side. So, when we're talking about how do we bridge that gap between the business and technology, a lot of times it's really kind of understanding what framework are we going to even use or, or what's the basis of our communication uh, foundation. Uh, and there's researchers in the past that have kind of talked about communication being a common language that's adopted across the team or that's understood by the team. And that's very true. Lots of times, you know, even inside of highly Uh, rigorous environments, Scrum environments, agile environments where teams are are forced to communicate following one specific structure, you find that within the team, communication is high. But as soon as you start leaving the team or you start interacting cross-functionally, especially in a globalized setting... Uh, you start diminishing that communication between the two groups highly. So this is where program management really kind of has uh, stepped in over the last couple of years and gotten some maturity from a, from an external factor, from a market perspective, because lots of times program managers are coming into a, a business setting and trying to understand what are the business requirements, ask some of the questions regarding that business requirements, helping to understand the level of risk uh, associated with those requests, and then working with the technical team to really digest and, and translate those, those requirements to to something that the team can actually pull together. And and oftentimes we see inside the engineering teams, this is what they usually call like some form of response document, some kind of technology response document or engineering response document, which usually takes the requirements that the business is imposing and puts a technical spin on them to try to really understand what value they're going to be providing incrementally over what period of time and how much is it going to cost, to your point earlier, Uh, because cost usually is that big factor in IT as to... How I'm going to do it, why I'm going to do it, and how long it's going to take me. A lot of times in project management, we we ask those questions um, upfront. You know, what's your budget for this program or for this project that you're you're expected to run? Uh, depending on the budget, we can talk through uh, different trade offs that can be given. Okay, well, do you want this done faster? And meaning we're going to spend a little bit more money upfront, but then we'll be able to kind of spread the cost over the next couple of increments at a less uh, diminished rate. Or do you want us to really just kind of manage the cost from start to finish? So depending on these strategies that are imposed by the business, uh, program managers can, in essence, translate those and figure out ways to execute on those strategies in a way that's effective both to the technical team and to the business. Because in the end of the day, the technologist doesn't want to be distracted by the business. They really just want a set of deliverables and requirements that they can work off of and then kind of turn around and deliver those requirements to the business in an effective manner. And the business doesn't necessarily want to get into the technology or the jargon either in its place either. It really wants a funnel or kind of an input point where they can submit the request and then kind of turn around and check on it every once in a while and see what's going on. So again, kind of increasing that communication, that output of what's going on within the technical team, within the scrum, within the sprints, trying to put some some data behind it, rationalize the data and correlate it and triangulate it in a way that it tells a story. Whether it's positive or negative has been the best way that I've been able to connect the top to the bottom and more so the bottom to the top. Depending on that story, there's different actions that kind of come into play. If the story is positive and the executive team is is pleased with with the output that the team has provided so far, then usually it's more of a process improvement. Is this meeting your need? Is it meeting your objective? And we'll take the feedback in retrospective. In situations that are a little bit more negative where we need a little bit of influence, either we're missing requirements, we're missing an understanding, we don't have a clear objective, or we're not really fully understanding or embracing the complexity that's involved in something, uh, that's where we really need to have those straight, focused, and forward conversations with the team to kind of talk a little bit more about reality. What can we do today that's going to actually impact the plan and give us something positive uh, as an output? Not what we can do tomorrow, not what we can do in the future, not what we could have done yesterday. Those those things become very irrelevant when you're trying to work through those, those uh, conversations at the executive level.
1: Yeah. So you hit on something a little earlier on in that, which was um, communicating cross-functionally, but I heard in my brain. Um, you know, I'm thinking about how, how prevalent it has become, right? Like I, it's no longer just a, this is where you get your workstations and then you do that, right? Like the, everything is getting technology these days, everything, everything is getting digitized. And so it is more important than ever. And it's going to continue to, to gain importance and relevance within all functions of a business, all functions. Um, so what I'm hearing there is also cross departmentally. So how, um, and, and Brad, maybe you have something you'd like to say to this is, you know, how do we communicate cross-departmentally and how important is that communication?
0: Yeah, it's always one of the major challenges we face um, from being in the operational side of IT, right, um, for for all my career is translating what we're doing on a daily basis back to the business. Um the business doesn't really understand tech debt they don't understand operational overhead of uh, from a standard you know if we're talking to an exec they generally just don't understand that and so being able to go say to them what that actually means, what tech debt means, what it means if it's going to fail, um, what it means if we're not following you know the extra security steps that it requires to really be extremely secure and on the cutting edge of security and those other investments there like getting that across to leadership can be a very difficult thing, especially I think for most it pros. Um, if I came up as an engineering track, which is how I came up, you don't necessarily have a marketing jargon or an executive jargon in your back pocket when you're interfacing with um, the e-staff. The e and so learning how to translate that as a standard IT professional or IT engineer that's been behind keyboard, behind the closed doors oftentimes, um, that's a big leap in a, a lot of people's careers. And sometimes they may be a great leader and they may be a great technical leader, but being also at a great executive facing leader, is a very tough thing to translate. And that's where I think IT has problems oftentimes. Is that translation, as Umberto was talking about, from the executive side to the IT jargon and to what it really means? Because the company wants to make more money, right? That's the company's job. That's a company, the whole point of its purpose, right? That's why it's there is to, you know, it may have a bunch of other uh, goals as far as enhancing the community and things like that. But its general purpose is that we're there to make more money than we're spending and also to be more efficient as we're doing that. And when you look at IT, it's very expensive, right? Um, But you mentioned earlier that it's everywhere and it's in everything and it's getting more expensive because you have to have more and more layers of IT. It's in everything from our, you know, pins nowadays to, you know, the lights in the building are connected to IT and all that incurs operational overhead, security risk, you know, you name it and tech debt to go with it. And so without, ramping up a massive amount of people to do that is where this efficiency starts to come into play. And then also balancing your priorities, which I think was what Umberto was sitting on there is, is being able to take, what the company's objectives are, where we're trying to go as a business, translating that to IT, and then also translating back up from IT, what we're facing back to the executives. And I think we've made a lot of strides in that over the last you know six months, nine months that we've at, actually had a dedicated project management team with Umberto. The ability for us to go, that has to go to a backlog, right? We currently have 85 projects and 100 people. So how do you how do you take 100 people and run 85 projects? You can't. So we have to prioritize that down to 10, 12. Focus on that. Increase our velocity and and get the right information back to the executives so they understand why we can't turn certain things on a dime. And I, we've made some great strides on doing that. And obviously, you know, executives aren't unreasonable people, right? They didn't get to where they were by not being collaborative or not being great leaders. Um, it's often it's a translation issue is usually where you have a problem. Communication and translation, not not that you're dealing with somebody that's unreasonable.
1: Right. Yeah. And oftentimes it's not a matter of um, intelligence, which I think can be a mistake that some people make. But, you know, when you live in that jargon, whatever it happens to be. If you're in marketing and it's marketing jargon, you live there every day. You take for granted that people understand that those those, those terms, you take for granted that they know what they're talking about when they use those terms. And I think um, you hit on something there, which was that it's a leap up, right, to move to the part where you're talking to the executive level in IT, right? As an IT pro, when you move up to a position of being able to speak to executive level, it is a, it is a move up in the world as far as um, responsibilities go, right? And I think that can be kind of intimidating, uh, especially for someone who spent, you know, their their whole of their time kind of not interacting with as many people outside their team or something like that once they move up, especially in the early days of management, when they're responsible for translating that stuff to the executive leadership, I think maybe that can be um, challenging in a whole nother level for them that people don't consider as being challenging because it's not technical. But I think that that is a mistake. It's very difficult to teach interpersonal skills versus technical skills. Um, because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like classes out there that teach you how to talk to executive, right? Like you can't just go to school for it. I mean, uh, in a way you can, uh, but it's, it's a, it's a bit, it's a bit of a different challenge. You have to approach it differently. So uh, do you guys have any advice?
2: Well, I think you hit, you hit one of the main points topics there. right? As, as young technicians, I remember early on in my career, I was taught by my leadership, like your job is to say yes. No matter what, your job is to say yes in IT. We can figure out how to do it. Technology is very flexible. Say yes. That's what you say to executives. And then to Brad's point, as you grow up within IT, you realize that you got to learn how to say no. And there is a, uh, there's an art to it, not just science. I think there's an art to it. Uh, you want to keep the business productive. You want to keep the business on task and focus. But there is a level of diminishing returns, just like in everything, where I can either put more money in it to get more things out of it faster, uh, or I can slow things down in order, in essence, to speed things up. And so we can kind of pull these different levers within IT to try to build that strategy. But as we start career- growing in our careers, really what's what's growing is our rhetoric. What, how can we say no? How can we say Yes. And when should we say yes? And when should we say no? And how should we say no so that we can manage the priorities of the business? And, and this is where exercises like OKRs, KPIs, like all these different exercises are really valuable to us on the delivery end, because a lot of times you, know, you have marketing, you have sales, you have finance, you have these different departments within the business that all have conflicting priorities and they're all number one priority across their division, all kind of uh, hitting one team those requests are all coming in one direction. And the team has the burden to figure out what am I going to do today? What am I doing tomorrow? How am I going to organize this work? And where am I going to deliver across the most valuable work streams that the business needs to be successful tomorrow? That's a lot of decision making on one team, if I I can say. So I try most of the times to kind of create those collaborative settings for us to really, through data, this is where I inject more of the science, trying to show the executives, trying to talk to the senior leaders across the organization around Okay, this is based on the OKRs, based on the highest priorities of the organization. Here's where our resources are currently applied, both people, money, time, et cetera. Uh, and here's where we have a little bit of capacity or reserves. If the reserves are not enough to meet the new business request, then we need to, in essence, have a conversation around what do I stop or slow down on the activity side in order to accommodate the new requests coming in? Or how does my budget expand or increase in order for us to be able to facilitate all of this work at the same time? So this is kind of going back to how we grow through within IT to our careers. Um, it really goes to that point that you're making on learning how to speak to the executives in a data-driven conversation. And uh, to Brad's point around the data team not or the executive team not being unreasonable, they just really need to understand the situation that we're driving or the problem that we're facing in order to help us. Kind of unblock the or remove the impediment and unblock the blocker in essence yeah
0: that was that was a good one umberto and one of the one of the things that you hit right there that just triggered something for me was kind of the personal aspect of it right when i look from a leadership standpoint and i think of my own journey and i try to tell this to my managers and those that are coming up you know and looking at leader leadership positions it's not usually in the DNA of a lot of engineers to be a very big people person. I wouldn't say that you're generally an extrovert and drawn to IT. Um It may be, it may be a few of us, but it's few and far between. Majority of us are extreme introverts. Um, I, for 10 years of my career, I was locked in a data center and I loved it. You know, I could go, I could go a week without even interfacing with anybody in in my, in my work life, you know, which was awesome. But as I changed and they moved me into leadership, I had to, had to change my entire kind of way I looked at communication and and had to that it sunk in after a little bit and I had some good mentorship but to Umberto's point on saying yes that was the same thing I was taught right it was you always just you're given a task and you went and did it and you're given another another task and you went and did it especially as you're coming up as, as an engineer it wasn't until later on where I had a larger team and more responsibilities that I realized we just can't say yes to everybody And that was where it became very difficult or very important, and also a difficult part of the process to get the priorities right as umberto was saying but and then also being able to communicate well and one of the things i had a, a mentor tell me an executive at the time was that i need to be a, a little more of a of a, a little more of a hard case right um to 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 skip the hard language but um uh, just a little bit rougher around the edges with people sometimes because i was a little too nice whenever people were asking for for things that realistically we just didn't need to add to our t- our plate and and then also when it came to like security type matters right um you're used to somebody asking for a thing and, you know, we need to, we need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And, but the business is going, well, we've got to do this. And so we're going to do this and, and you just, you end up getting pushed to the side. Right. But where you've got to stand up and especially nowadays, you know, with the current climate of, you know, just cyber attacks and, you know, threat actors being extremely sophisticated, the us standing up at a business level and going, We as a business cannot, should not do that. And this is a major risk is falls onto every IT professional as, as part of their, their job to like raise their hand every time they see something that, that may be a bad practice or even close to a bad practice.
1: Yeah. You both hit on something there that really speaks to me personally, which is that you, you know, at a certain point, you have to learn how to say no in a way that doesn't get you fired. Um, and ne- ne- neither of you said that part, but I feel like that's implied. Um, you know, you you have to learn how to say no. That is a mark of being put into any kind of management position. You have to be able to say, no, we can't do this. And here's why. You have to have the here's why. You can't just say no. It's very important to understand. You, you have to be able to tell them, why this is too much, or uh, we can maybe look at this again in six months, or whatever it happens to be, you can do it in a nice way. But if you're saying yes to everyone, you're overwhelming your team, you're overwhelming your, you know, you're creating a bottleneck, and that bottleneck is you. And you don't want to be the bottleneck. No one wants to be the bottleneck, right? So um, it's really important to figure out how to say no. And, um, you know, it's challenging. There's going to be some give and take. There's going to be some learning there. And the beautiful thing is most people are quite understanding uh, of humans' abilities to make errors.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, just a quick thought from what you were saying there is, I, I've never seen. I mean, I know there's bad leaders out there, and and we've all we've all dealt with our, our share of a bit of bad leaders. But there's always a counter influence, right? There's always a stabilizing force, and and that's why you have a staff of leadership. You're not just you know you don't have a single guy that's walking around axing everybody in the company, right? Um, I've always seen from an HR perspective, everything else that's not going to work for very long one thing i've i think we've been really fortunate with is I've always had the opposite right very you know leadership that listens and is very thoughtful and all the teams I've worked with they want to hear from from every layer right every tier um, and i've seen that through multiple companies now you know i've been in four or five different uh, big organizations uh, throughout my career and across all of those i've run into that and so it's funny when i i am talking to a junior engineer or even one in a senior lead position and they're they're very intimidated to speak up and, and stand up but what's amazing is is my leaders above me are asking why doesn't so-and-so say something why did they why did it have to come through you you know so oftentimes people i think would be surprised to know that that, you know and i try to tell everybody like you don't always have to go through the chain of command right like it doesn't always have to f- trickle up like if you see something hit the right person that you know that doesn't mean that we should be pinging everybody all day long but when you have relevant in- information definitely stick your hand up and i always encourage my team to make sure they're putting their hand up every chance they get
2: well this goes back to the cross functional side of the house too right when we start talking about teams that are in different locations and different settings and different uh, environments in general like they effective leadership comes into play here right and and how do you become an effective leader well you need communication in there right there has to be an, uh, an evolutionary type of mindset in and and the different life engagements or life scenarios that you're that you're presented as a, as a leader throughout the organization and you'll you'll notice that as you're growing in your career the challenges that you're facing earlier on in your career are different than the challenges you face later on in your career And how you manage those communication channels and set expectation across teams is is important. Uh, I mean, poor communication in general has been identified as one of the earliest signs of IT project failure. And it has been for many, many years, because once the team stops communicating, it's really hard for the team to come back together unless somebody is really forcing that communication. Uh, And in that effective leader perspective, especially when you're working with cross-functional teams, You really need to kind of have the experience and the exposure of the different environments in order to kind of call out or identify areas where you need to intervene a little bit closer. To Brad's point, in our DNA, culturally, uh, depending on where you're from and what part of the world you you come from, you may see as challenging authority as something that you don't want to do on a day-to-day basis. It's not in your DNA and it's just so culturally not acceptable. So for you, the chances of you actually doing that in your day job may be a little bit lesser than, let's say, a, a society that is routinely challenging uh, authority in that aspect of it. So um, there, there are a lot of dimensions that come into uh, being an effective leader, communication and understanding how to drive a message forward. But even in that show, you, you know, as you're aligning your career to your next steps, you got to kind of evaluate your personal as well. Like, are you that type of person, to Brad's point, that can leave the data center, take off the headphones, take off the hoodie and, and go in front of an executive team and try to articulate Values and needs and circumstances accordingly, or do you really prefer to be in the data center working on on machines and and really that's what drives your passion? So I think that there is there's a little bit of a of soul searching that comes into play here as well. Yeah,
1: you know, I um, this really makes me think that it's it's increasingly visible that it's important for leaders, whether they be, you know, me and just general managers or executive leadership to admit when they make their own mistakes, like we're human, none of us stop making mistakes. The important thing is, is to acknowledge and move forward from those, learn something from it. Um, and I think that that really can open the door for some of those junior and even senior level people to think, well, I, I can speak up. They didn't, they, they were able to admit their own flaws. And I think that that's really important, right? Like, no, it's not often that you have a project that goes off flawlessly throughout the whole thing. I think that's maybe like a dream we all have, but not necessarily a thing that actually happens in real life. Um, and so, you know, when you think about those things, talking about those um, errors in a constructive way can really improve interpersonal relations. And the only other thing I wanted to bring up is that... Um, with the workforce going more and more distributed you know working remotely and all of that i think it's important to point out that that doesn't change the need for communication. It actually enhances our need for communication. You just have to learn to do it in a different way. I know internally we use Teams, um, but we have other methods of communication as well. And it doesn't always have to be a meeting. It can still just be a ping on Teams or a channel or whatever, a group chat. All of those things are super important to maintaining that communication.
0: Just piggybacking on your thought there and what Umberto said, uh, you know, we definitely have we're talking a lot about interfacing to execs and leadership and the business alignment there. One of the things I had seen you kind of triggered a thought there was it's not, and it's not just up, you know, the, the, the vertical communication that's oftentimes problematic. When I've come into teams that I would consider kind of bad IT or just not running really well, oftentimes a lot of the communication problems are laterally between the teams, Um, particularly when we're having operational issues. It's not that the you don't have good engineers. It's not maybe that a budgeting problem or an executive priority problem. Oftentimes I've seen problems between the teams where they're not communicating well for whatever reason may be there. It can, it can take as small as one person in a, in a group that can cause walls to be built and silos to be built and communication across collaborative communication across the engineering staff to start to stall out. And once that happens, you lose a lot of the synergy between those groups. And I hate using that word, but a lot of the synergy between the groups, it's really necessary for IT to just really hum internally and work out those problems without having to go all the way up and back down. And everything shouldn't be a conflict resolution to get a decision made. Um, Two engineers across teams should be able to ping each other and get something done. But when that falls apart, it's when you start to really see some problems. So we just wanted to point that out. I know executives are obviously important and that's what we, you know, we're here to provide a, you know, back to the business, but for a team to hum, you've got to have that, that, that clicking in between all the different leaders at a lower level.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that, um, in the, in the past, the, the blame game and the, uh, purposeful siloing of teams has, has hindered. Uh, efficiency in IT. And what what we're working towards, I think, uh, more now is to breaking down those barriers between teams, right? We have to be more collaborative. Applications are moving towards more collaborative. We cannot escape it. There's no thing where you can just be, I mean, there is still out there, but we're moving away from it, right? Where you can just be doing one single job, right? There's more often, you're going to have to be communicating with other people and other teams all the time, because that is the way that the uh, the technology is going. And if we don't follow the technology, uh, well, you're going to
2: get left out of IT. <laughs> That's kind of how it goes. Yeah, I would I would add to that. Right, in my opinion, communication influences everything. And that that like when we look at these program management softwares and and these approaches, these methodologies around program management if you really kind of peel the the uh, the layer back and look at it from a scientific approach, you, you start realizing that it's really two things. Imperial control theory, meaning you're learning through observation and communication, right? Establishing formats and frameworks for people to come together and communicate. You can see that through task management. You can see that through program management, sprint management, all that stuff, really just all it allows is for us to create solid and fluid forms of communication for us to hold each other accountable on what we said on this day, on this time, the commitment that we made to the business, to the team, to the project, whatever it was, it's essentially a form of communication that we're documenting, holding for true value, putting some data around it and saying, did we deliver on that commitment uh, ultimately or not? So this is where I I really lean on the aspect of communication influences everything. It it not only influences the relationships and the engagements that we have on a day-to-day, but it also influences sometimes the metadata, the, the world around us both from a body language perspective, as well as what we say, what we don't say, our facial expressions. I mean, there's lots of different ways that that communication really does play a part in everything that we do in every single day. And as far as forms of communication or tools for communication, I think this is where technology has really made leaps and bounds over the last 10 years or so. I remember, I don't know, 15 years ago, at some point, ICQ was a thing, right? Everybody was jumping in on chatting uh, you know, channels to be able to just communicate with somebody across a different continent. And now it's it's a normal thing for companies to be every single day talking to somebody, you know, across oceans, across geographies, uh, working together to problem solve, to decision make, to to progress, you know, a, a topic, a, a research, whatever it is, people come together globally through these tools that are available to us today.
0: I think ICQ may have been further than 15 years ago.
2: <laughs> I'm not trying to age myself 100% here, Brad. But yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> just, though, a little right? bit. just a little bit. <laughs>
1: You know, um, you've brought up documentation a couple of times now, and I really want to talk about this because I know that internally we have some supreme documentation going on. And uh, it's not just technical documentation, because I think a lot of times people can focus on documentation as like, it's just technical process documentation. It's just the documentation that helps our apps run, what have you. I don't think that's the only documentation that we need. Um, Do you guys have any flavor you'd like to add to that?
2: I mean, documentation is everywhere, I mean, in everything, right? We call it artifacts in in my world uh, because it really is that, right? It could be a data model. It could be an illustration. It could be a document, like a a research article that we're reviewing. I think in in our world, especially when we're looking for data-driven conversations or fact-driven conversations, a lot of times we try to find uh, existing evidence or existing data to help us support it. Or we try to bring data points together to tell that story. Going back to, to triangulating and correlating data to tell that, that that rational story that you're trying to put forward. Um, but documentation is, in essence, right. Like I think that throughout my career in different various of experiences and different companies that I've worked for, you know, that's usually one of the first questions you ask. It's like, hey, you know, I'm coming into this technical environment where's your technical documentation? Where's the IT Bible, right? (laughs) Like I want to kind of pull it up and kind of just get to know what IP schema you're running, what subnets are we running, you know, what what protocols are we running within the environment, et cetera, just to get a sense of the architecture that was used in this environment or the way that the environment was brought together and and how we can maintain it and support it going forward. Same thing on the business side, right? As, As we're trying to document these requirements and understand the deliverables for the company or the objectives for the company, Lots of times, the executive team will build an artifact or a document at the top that says, "Hey, I want you all to, you know, read this, uh, digest it, align to it, and make sure that you're contributing to this on a weekly or monthly basis in order for us to to maintain that cohesion." So, you know, I I would say I'd, I'd be bold enough to say that that if if communication influences everything, then documentation is the how. Document documentation is how we can hold each other accountable, how we maintain co- connectivity, how we maintain you know, positive traction. How we call out negative traction, how we kind of action around uh, the certain scenarios that we have to kind of engage. So really, they're each other's sidekick, in my opinion, documentation and communication.
0: Yeah, I, the one thing with documentation, I, I put that down there with tech debt, right? Um, I don't think I've ever walked into a place that had a hundred percent, you know, great uh, documentation practices for every every one of their config and change management and everything else. It's always difficult because if we go back to the rewind to the beginning of the conversation, that overhead on an IT team, an operational team. Um, it, not a lot of companies run r- r- the uh, the different silos of like a you know design build run. Um, they're generally not quite that size. And so you generally have a team that's balancing everything. They're doing the architecture design, they're building it, and then they're trying to run it. And the problem there is they're always so burdened with a, a, a high backlog that Stopping to write a document for half a day or for a couple of hours just doesn't flow well with the way that they're working. Uh, we internally have kind of changed the way we do some of our process there, so a project isn't done until that documentation is done and until the old documents are removed or, or put into a you know a, a, a artifact you know or moved into an artifact type um, position. And so that way we're always keeping those up to date. The other part of it is making those a what we're actually running off of from a a uh, Daily perspective from how we're, we're triaging an incident or triaging an outage um, is that people are going to that documentation. It's not just inherited knowledge, you know, from somebody that's that either built the thing or still working it. And that's where sometimes a bit of those separation of the duties can be good. Um, is kind of tiering the workload. So response is done by maybe one tier of a team um, and another tier of a team and in certain incidents is actually handling the design, even if you're not fully broken in or large enough to do a full um, siloed run model, um, because that forces the documentation to be good or somebody else can't help because they can't go to the documentation to get the thing done. And so it's very tough. But if we're talking about like operational documentation, that's that's just a it's an ongoing plague. I think it's tough for IT teams to really get that thing 100 percent right. But um, forcing those mechanisms can help.
2: I love documentation as well, just from the aspect of if you're trying to bleed communication or you have uh, language barriers and such that are kind of or even time zone challenges that are in place. You know, you can put a document or an artifact out there and most people can either get Google Translator to translate it from English to another language or vice versa, or they can understand pictures and they understand the illustration that you're trying to make. Um, if they're a part of the same team in the same company, they, they speak a very similar language as far as what the uh, internal culture is in the organization. So lots of times a document can actually be the bridge between cross-functional teams.
1: I love that. Um, making, making your documentation be the accessibility point, right? Like, you know, if we're having a conversation like this and we're all speaking English and someone else is with us that doesn't perhaps speak perfect English, because I mean, there are people that don't, let's be real. We're, you know, we're Americans. We like to think everyone speaks English, but that's not true. Um, so, you know, we, we work in a global corporation and everyone that's li- that's listening, isn't going to work for, you know, global teams, but that English may not be the first or or even a language that another person speaks or reads. So, having documentation available where anyone can could, could use that to improve what they're doing is fantastic. I also like uh, the thought of having that documentation available for other teams, right? Like there is you know someone else that may not. They may be trying to troubleshoot something without getting IT involved because IT is already overloaded or they don't, not going to have time to get to it right now. If you have an FAQ, if you have documentation on these things available to them where they can do a little bit of work themselves, they may solve their own problem without ever having to come to IT. Because how often do people who don't know anything about IT come to IT as something like, I need this fixed right now? Because to them, Is priority, like you said earlier, to them, it's priority number one. But to IT, it can't be priority number one. Um, So, you know, I think that those are really important. And to that point, I know internally um, our team is working on a new project, the SWOC, as we like to call it, which I'd like to hear more about. But one of the things that they've been working on diligently with this project while they've been standing it up is documentation because it's been prioritized by us. And the documentation work that they're doing with that is. Incredible! It's it's incredibly detailed. It includes runbooks. and includes all kinds of other things that go with it, so that anybody can know what's going on in this project. Anybody can access. Anybody that has access to this documentation can can just jump right in. If a new person joins the team, they have it all right there at their fingertips. Uh, and it's kept updated, which is incredible.
0: So it's a it's been one of my passion projects for a few years now from from when I was first with SolarWinds and then now that I've been back for the last year is to build out a SolarWinds Winds observa- observability center. And the goal there was was kind of twofold. There was an internal goal uh, for IT focused operations when we talk about kind of the run build type model right is is taking some of that run function um what maybe some of the chattier um tier 1 tier 2 type ticketing and moving that out to a a uh, operations center that was focused on that and that's where what i was talking about a forcing mechanism for our documentation that's where that came in place um is that we would have that forcing forcing mechanism um and to your point, yes, the team has built amazing documentation around that. And the, the, the kind of impetus there is if you look at it as an engineer, I'm a network engineer, I get this uh, alert maybe, you know, randomly every couple of weeks or months, depending on how things are running. And I have to go and do a thing. If I'm on call, well, potentially that alert's going to wake me up while I'm on call. But if I write the documentation for it where somebody else can read it and actually respond to it, all of a sudden that gets taken care of by our, our SWOC, right? It gets taken care of by that center. And so documentation, yes, super critical there. But even more than that, when we stood this team up, the goal was that we could tell the story. What was the story of, because the manager running that um, he came in new to the company. He was a little bit familiar to run Orion in the past in NPM, but he he hadn't run Orion in a few years. And then the team that we hired is also new, has some some a little bit of uh, familiarity with our products, but isn't necessarily you know a, 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 a just working in Orion every day. And so they came in as a team, being viewed as what does it take for us internally to stand up. You know, zero to ninety days, a full operational knock or sock. You know, and so how do we turn that and turn the walk into to a thing that we can tell and share with our customers of how did how did we do it and how did we get there? You know, because I've tried to build out a knock before, and it's not the easiest thing in the world. It takes a lot of manpower. It takes a whole change of the way your your team's doing. It. it takes a lot of time and money, and not every company is willing to invest in it. So how do you make a return and how do you turn that back into something as quickly as possible as possible and all that to, to speak to our two earlier points was around documentation, uh, documenting everything we did and communication, because we had to sell this to the business. Um, how is this? How is this good for the business? How is this good for IT? You know, and how do we make this something that um, we can sell? And that that was probably one of the initially harder points. Right. Like, how do we how do we make this something that's a sales thing? And it's more than just it is how is this a business improvement?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love everything that I hear about that project. Um, and I, I'm fully supportive of the project itself and everything that's going on with it. Every time that, um, Howard talks about it, he's so invested. And I think that's, um, it's wonderful to see, because if you're, if you're that invested and you're working it on the day to day, it's easy to translate that enthusiasm to anyone that you're talking to. Um, in addition to having all of that documentation and everything to back it up to, to the business leaders. And kind of to your point of um, using monitoring and observability, um, I kind of think that that's a way to get executive leaders to not think of IT as only a cost center, because I think monitoring and observability can be used to do resource optimization and kind of do cost optimization in a way, right? Like if you're constantly looking at um, what the data, you're looking at the data of what your business is doing, all of the IT infrastructure in your business, you can prevent outages in this way. You can prevent things that would cost you a lot of more money if it was a problem, right? So I think that if we if we use that in our language and discussing things with business leaders in IT, then we would we would find that there's a lot of ways that we can help save money. The the challenge is in communicating that to those leaders, right, in a way that makes sense. Because, uh, and I think that we should think of it in a way like uh, risk management, right? Risk management. Uh, are people that are employed to tell you how much money this thing could cost if it went wrong, right? I mean, it's sort of the same way in with monitoring and observability, right? If you're looking at it and you can see that, let's take a SQL server. This SQL server is going to run into a problem in 30 days, you can provision those resources ahead of time so that whatever is reliant on those databases isn't going to crash and co- potentially cost you more money, right? If that database was linked up to a customer facing portal somewhere then, and that crashed, I mean, if that was your storefront, well, your storefront is now down for X amount of time until it's brought back up. So being able to do kind of um, more preventative measures in that way can be can be viewed as resource and cost optimization rather than just cost. So, you know, with this observability center that you're working on, you know, it's taking taking our typical monitoring and improving it to observability. You know, how is that kind of taking us into the future?
0: You know, and I said it was twofold earlier and that first one being internal facing IT, IT operations. And you nailed it there as far as seeing a thing before it happens, right? So, um, under, I've walked into shops before that we didn't have any monitoring. We didn't have anything going, and and being blind is scary, right? You walk in Monday morning, and the manufacturing systems are down, and people can't produce and can't make money, and you know everything's broken loose, and it's a bad day. So whenever that stuff sneaks up on you, especially, you know, to your your illustration there, a SQL server, yeah, if it, if you don't have monitoring on there, and you've got know, 300, 400, 500 servers, are you really going to be checking every time something's running low on memory or disk space or running optimally? Definitely not. So that's a key part of it. Being able to serve internally IT and making IT more efficient it was a big part of it for us. But the other part, and we're, we're lucky to be part of SolarWinds and part of a monitoring company, was our ability to tell this story externally and actually make it a bit of a sales tool. This is how IT uh, SolarWinds uses uh, um, our products and how, how IT internally uses it. And being able to tell that story. So the monitoring part there and being able to convey that up, I mean, Umberto, I think will love this is it has to be data driven. So we have to show utilization. We have to be able to show, you know, age of systems and when something's going to age out, when you're talking about hybrid and hybrid cloud, you have to be able to, before you just jump into the cloud, what is your egress model going to look like? How much is your data charge going to be? I've heard of a lot of companies moving back down from the cloud because they, they go up just being told this is the holy grail and the future of it. And they get there and then all of a sudden they get, you know, hundred K a month in egress charges because they. They didn't expect it. And so not always jumping into to the next thing. You well, know, you definitely can't jump blind, but oftentimes people kind of do. And I I walked into one of those shops where they had moved fully into the cloud. We ended up going into a hybrid model and then shifting our cloud in between, you know, one vendor and another to get a little bit better rates. But it just if you're not doing it data driven and you're making decisions for the business, then I think you're 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 headed into a world of hurt.
2: Yeah, you gotta look at it from a data perspective. I agree with Brad on that highly. Uh, and that's really the value that I've gotten out of monitoring systems in the past. I was a SolarWinds customer about 15 years ago myself uh, in the hospital side of it, managing hospital ITs. And it, it provided visibility in the environment that I didn't have before. It helped me identify where my troubles were and where I needed to put my focus. A lot of times, um, you know, from a reactive perspective, that's how you're using it. That's the value that it's driving. It's helping you kind of identify the problem and solve it as quick as you can kind of reducing that meantime objective type deal, Uh, but also from a strategic sense, right? And that's really where the the big value, at least from from my perspective, came from, being able to look at the different data points and uh, being able to capture those and tell a story with those data points. Hey, you know what, CIO, I need to go out and buy all this extra memory and all this extra hard drive space because we're going to run out of resources here soon. We're not going to have enough compute. We're not going to have enough horsepower in these systems to be able to drive the business load those are all things that are are data-driven based on the outputs of these systems. So this is where I highly agree with Brad's side of it is that w- it, we shouldn't just use it as a reactive uh, uh, tool. It's actually a proactive tool as well if you use it right.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, well, you know, we've kind of reached the end of our time here. So um, any final thoughts that you want to share? We'll uh, start with you, Brad.
0: IT is an interesting career. I think we have a lot of you. I've, I've been able to work with a lot of amazing people over the years, whether from the engineering side, but also interfacing with the business and watching the the way IT can shape a company is is really interesting because I've been in a few companies where IT was just a utility, right? We were just keeping the power gone and, and the lights on. And those were companies that I saw not changing and not really turning with the times, right? And then I've been in companies where IT was at its core and, and up at the executive C-suite level, they were listening and listening isn't, you know, it's not completely dependent on them as we, as Umberto talked about earlier, right? It's dependent on us telling the story right and being able to convey it right. Those companies that did that and the leadership in IT was able to do that. I've seen even small shops be extremely cutting edge with how the business was running, the efficiency, and I've seen IT be able to contribute millions back in EBITDA you know, due to the way that they were were focused and the way they were assisting the business. So yeah, I just just to go as IT pro to go, I'm just here to do this one thing and keep the computers running or keep this, this technology running, that's just a mindset that I think I think we have to look for more and to be more and be part of the business in a bigger way.
2: I agree. And Bartwell. So from my perspective, uh, kind of just wrapping up a couple of different uh, topics that we've covered today on on this episode, you know, cross-functional communication, establishing that business level alignment and really kind of working through monitoring as a as a service for the organization are really kind of the key value areas that I would highly recommend any IT professional really dive into, right? If you're if you're trying to tell a story Lots of times you don't want to be the person to tell the bad story. Usually you just blame the data and just kind of lean on the data going forward, and and in essence try to have the data tell the story that you're trying to tell within your environment. This is where monitoring not only becomes a reactive tool to kind of help you troubleshoot through your your day to day, but also a proactive tool to help you kind of plan for tomorrow in a better and more effective way. Especially when you're when you're trying to prepare for a conversation with the CIO or different technical executives, and you're you're probably going to ask for money. Lots of times, most CIOs I've worked for um, will typically scrutinize their dollars pretty well, unless you can give them a really good detailed plan as to how you're going to use it and the value that's going to be uh, introduced into the environment because of such.
1: I agree completely. And if you are, listener, intimidated by you know approaching this this communication with business leaders or even just your management, um, data-driven is kind of where you already live in IT. And um, you, you can use that, lean lean on the data to, to help you grow in that aspect, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but if you don't start, you, you won't ever improve. So, um, I encourage you to, to think about this as you move forward. Um, so thank you so much to Brad and Umberto. So this has been uh, such a great discussion. I think it's been uh, quite illuminating as far as talking about the importance of communication and documentation and all of that and improving our alignment with the business. So um, hopefully we've given our listeners something to mull over to improve their own communication and alignment with the business um, and, you know, improve their own day-to-day work lives in the process. Um, so it's past time IT was thought of being just a cost center. I think that um, with the way that technology is trending, we have to reach for more as broad said. We have to go for more. We can't just be a cost center. We have to go for more. We got to align with the business. We've got to improve things, improve efficiencies, optimize, and make sure that we're not just considered a cost center. If you enjoyed this episode of TechPod, please rate, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Crystal Taylor, and thanks for listening.